Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brian Spear. He is the founder of Sunrise Capital Investors, which is a company that helps people invest in real estate, unusual kinds of real estate, particularly mobile home parks and parking lots and other things like that. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Brian. Yeah, pleasure to be here, Jordan. Thanks for the invite. Just uh, give us a brief history of uh, your experience and how you got to where you are today. Well, uh, I could be here for for ages, but I'll try to use an expedited version of my background. Uh, uh, Originally born and raised in the Chicagoland area, and as you've mentioned, we're actually investing in, in mobile home parks, but my first my first experience with mobile home parks was actually living in one when I was 10 years old. Uh, my folks got divorced. My mom moved into a mobile home park with uh, her family as a single mom. And so my experience of getting to know the asset class was a little bit different than a lot of other folks. Um, I, you know, that, that, that nimbyism and that uh, stigma associated with the mobile home park investing was never something that was an issue with me because I knew that my mom was a you know, normal folks, standing up, upstanding citizen, you know, accounting degree, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so long story short, every single month I'd go hand the check to the landlord across the table, and I was wondering how I could be on that side of the table. So um, spent my whole life trying to, um, you know, find out how I would get involved in investments. Long story short, graduated from the University of Kentucky um, uh, with a business degree and thought about uh, building piles of cash with the intent of turning them into streams of income and uh, sought out that, that mobile home park niche that I learned about so long ago. I've uh, been doing it for about a decade now, investing in both, again, mobile home parks and parking lots. Those are our two unique niche assets of choice. Okay, so let's talk about mobile home parks. So people may have an impression mm-hmm. of what a mobile home park is. Why don't you tell us the reality of today? What are mobile home parks like before you learn about the investment opportunity? I agree. Well, the media kind of sways what a mobile home park is for, for, for the most majority of folks, they view mobile home parks as those kind of old, run-down, dingy, one-star trailers, if you will, the trailer parks that you see on, on 8 Mile and on Cops and that sort of stuff. But mobile home parks are truly rated from a one- to five-star rating system, and those one-star um, units are very similar to that. There is some of that drug, sex, and rock and roll, if you will, inside of a one-star trailer park. However, on the flip side is a five-star manufactured housing community where oftentimes homes are sold for six figures. Mobile homes go for $150,000, $200,000 in some of these communities where it's truly lifestyle choice, where retirees are oftentimes moving from the Northeast down to um, the Smile States or the, the Sun Belt, where they're simply downsizing and retiring. And all of those mobile homes, you know, there's, there's golf carts outside where folks are traveling throughout the community. And it's, it's very much a resort-style community. Again, that's five-star. And then the two- to four-star communities are mobile home parks. That is the blocking and, attack, and tackling of affordable housing here in this country. It is the last bastion of unsubsidized affordable housing. And that's really where we play. That's really where we invest in, in affordable housing. Um, there's a dearth of affordable housing in this country, and we do our best to provide some of that supply uh, for, for folks to just you know, keep housing prices down as, as much as we can. So talk a little bit about the supply-demand situation for housing in general and how mobile home parks fit into that supply-demand situation. Right now we have a very, very hot real estate market. Uh, traditional mm-hmm. single-family homes are going on the market and selling in 
hours with multiple bids over asking price. Very, very hot market. How do mm -hmm. mobile homes fit into that kind of environment of real estate today? Yeah, great question. And I think you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of the housing market in general. It's been very hot over time and, and for a lot of reasons. But um, adding to that is the fact that institutional capital has started to come into the space over the past handful of years. Uh, for, for decades and decades, both mobile home parks and I would also say single-family residential was not really viewed as a an institutional-grade asset class. And there wasn't a ton of data that had been compiled to really convey the merits of the asset class. And then ultimately when the Great Recession hit, if you recall, housing prices dropped dramatically, seemingly overnight. And I'll never forget the old uh, Warren Buffett CNBC interview where he basically said, I'd love to, I'd love to invest in, in housing right now. If I could go buy each individual single-family residential home out there, I'd do it because they were you know, at historically low prices, comparatively speaking, um, and nobody had really built that business model yet. Um, so some very sharp folks up in Wall Street realized uh, that this could be very, very well be a, a, an opportunity. And then ultimately, that's how some of these large iBuyers came into existence. Um, the open doors, if you will, the offer pads of, the, of, the, uh, uh, of this past decade have really sought to, to institutionalize um, the single-family residential space where they're trying to um, roll up a large portfolio. Now there's several REITs uh, in the same, same vein uh, in the single-family space, um, and that has kind of infiltrated down to mobile home parks as well. Uh, for decades, uh, mobile home parks were, were overlooked as an institutional great asset class. Nobody really bragged about owning mobile home parks around the water cooler. Um, and this is interesting when juxtaposed to the fact that mobile home parks have historically outperformed every other asset class. And it's due to the fact uh, of that supply and demand imbalance that you're, you're referencing there. Um, they're really not making any more mobile home parks. Um, uh, starting with the demand curve here, there is a massive demand for affordable housing in this country. Uh, the, the population continues to increase, and housing costs have continued to increase over time. Those institutional players are pushing up asset prices. Uh, housing just continues to get more and more and more expensive. Um, if you, on the flip side, on the supply curve, um, they're not making any more mobile home parks. Again, there's a stagnant supply of affordable housing in this country, uh, specifically in the mobile home park sector, um, for a couple of reasons. Um, first, it's very, very uh, difficult to newly construct affordable housing, virtually impossible. If you're going to be a developer and you're looking to, to develop a raw piece of parcel and you're going to put residential housing on that, on that parcel and you want to put several different units on there, um, you're going to build an apartment complex. When you're building that apartment complex and you're adding new supply to the market, would you build that apartment complex to be a class A luxury type of apartment complex where you can charge $2,500, $3,000 per month per resident? Or would you build it such that you would um, build it to, to, to uh, help uh, you know, curve the demand for affordable housing where you're only going to charge $1,000 per month? Developers invariably are always going to build for that class A market because they're then going to be able to sell on the backside for a significantly higher premium. Um, so it's very, very difficult to have newly constructed affordable housing. Um, mobile home parks can solve that real and help um, uh, solve some of that, that difficulty of creating new supply in the marketplace. But if I were to go to my local municipality and, and tell them, hey, do you have an uh, affordable housing issue? 
Um, there's an affordable housing crisis throughout the country. Uh, and they'll invariably say, yes, uh, we, we need more affordable housing. And I go on to explain, perfect, let me go ahead and build you a mobile home park. They'll pump the brakes, look at me cross-eyed and say, no, 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 no chance, not in my backyard. First and foremost, the NIMBY syndrome. Nobody really wants to live next to a trailer park, if you will, because of that outdated stigma. Even if it's going to be a brand new, beautiful, manufactured housing community or very high quality mobile home park, most folks don't want to live next to a mobile home park. Um, but that's not is that stigma changing at all? Why is, 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 is that stigma changing at all, Brian? Are, are people seeing that there are nicer <laughs> homes and it's not the class one? Is that stigma changing? I think it just runs very, very deep. Um, I think over time that will subtly change, but it is something that's going to get, it's going to be very, very difficult to, to change the aura and stigma surrounding trailer parks and mobile home parks. In fact, the industry has been trying to do it for decades to no avail. Um, the naming convention, I've, I've used multiple different naming conventions thus far on the call, and they all mean the same thing. A trailer park is a mobile home park, is a manufactured housing community, is a land lease community. They are all the same thing. They are all synonymous. But the reason that those new terms exist is to try to wash out that stigma. But it just never goes away. No matter what we try to do, it just seems that it's so deeply embedded into uh, American culture via all of the different media that has occurred over time. It's difficult to get away from that. So I always think there's going to be a little bit of hesitancy for local municipalities to build new. And it's not just the NIMBY syndrome. The, the real reason revolves around money. The reason that no new mobile home parks are being constructed is because it does not pencil from the municipality's perspective. Again, if I say, hey, do you need more affordable housing? They will always say yes. But when I say yeah, I'm going to build a mobile home park, they will always say no. Because you got to remember, mobile home parks are a fairly small parcel of land. And on that fairly small parcel of land, there's a, a fairly large amount of homes. Um, they're, they're fairly close to each other, right? And if they're all three-bed, two-bath, single-wide units, they might have two or three children inside of those respective homes. There's, you know, there could be hundreds of children that reside inside of this rather so small it would overwhelm the school system. It would overwhelm the school system because it's very dense, you're saying. Correct. Yep. And mobile home parks, they don't have the same sort of tax treatment that, that most parcels of land do. Mobile homes are actually considered personal property as opposed to real property. So for that reason, it's very much like a truck. When you're paying your personal property tax on an annual basis, people pay personal property tax for RVs, and they pay personal property tax for mobile homes. So they don't generate as much revenue for the local municipality than would a typical apartment complex or virtually any other type of zoning. So if you, again, cross-reference the lack of income from that parcel and the personal property tax, juxtaposed to the hundreds of children who are on that parcel that are going to need to be educated over the next 18 years, mobile home parks, there's no new supply coming online. Um, Only 10 were constructed over the past decade, ending in 2016. That's the most recent institutional data that was put out there. So, yeah, okay. massive demand for affordable housing, stagnant supply. It's why supply we, we love the asset class in the very long term. Very good. We're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brian Spear. He is the founder of Sunrise Capital Investors, which helps people invest in mobile home parks and parking lots. You can find out more about him at his website, which is 
sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. We'll be back after this. For many people, it can be difficult and intimidating to get started investing. Most people don't learn about investing in school or even from their parents. So many people are left out from the benefits of investing because they just don't know how to get started. But the stock market is designed to have millions of people participate and enjoy the returns that are available from investing in stocks in the long run. That's why I recently joined Public.com, which is an investing social network which allows you to buy stocks for any amount of money while you share ideas and learn from a vibrant community of investors. I love the idea that Public.com is making the whole investment experience accessible, educational, and fun. You not only get all the usual tools to invest, like research on companies and mutual funds, but you also get to share your ideas and questions with a larger community of people all over the country. This is unlike any other stock trading platform I've ever used. Most stock trading services let you invest, but do not let you connect to a thriving community of knowledgeable investors. I find the app easy to navigate and loaded with useful features to help me research investments and connect with other like-minded people. You can follow anyone you like, including people you don't know or famous people who show you what's in their portfolios. It's really a great way to get ideas about what you might want to invest in. The public.com app is free and there's no account minimum, so you can start with a small amount of money, even $1. There are no commissions when you buy or sell stocks, bonds, or mutual funds. You can also do fractional investing, where you buy a slice of a company if its shares cost too much. If Amazon costs $3,000 you don't have that, you could buy $20 worth of Amazon or something like that. Public.com is creating new, more inclusive cultures for investing. When they say they want to open the stock market to everyone, they mean everyone. The public.com community is made up of 40% women and 45% people of color. When you invest with public.com, you're never investing alone. They make it easy to collaborate and build your confidence as an investor. You get to connect with other users, friends, other members, and notable investors to learn new things together and see how they're investing. Public.com takes the responsible approach. They don't promote risky or gambling-like behavior offer complex trading tools to beginners, or encourage uh, day trading. Instead, they promote long-term investing habits. Public prides itself on transparency and won't sell your data to market makers and other third parties like other brokers do. They offer a way to break free of traditional financial institutions that want to spend more money and profit from your trading information. Go to public.com slash moneyanswers to follow me on public.com and see what I'm investing in. You can start investing today for as little as $1. You even get a free slice of stock when you join. Just go to public.com slash moneyanswers to download the public.com app. This is valid for U.S. residents 18 years old and older. Subject to account approval, see public.com slash disclosures. They don't give investment advice. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner. 
earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brian Spear. He is the founder of Sunrise Capital Investors, which helps people invest in mobile home parks and parking lots as a source of regular stable income. Uh, their, their website is sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Happy to be here, Jordan. So we pretty much said the supply side is pretty well limited. They're not building new... So let's talk about the demand side. Uh, what kind of demand is there for uh, mobile home parks these days? Well, I think most folks have heard about the affordable housing crisis in this country, and that's where I always start if I'm talking about the demand curve for the asset. There is a massive demand for affordable housing in the country. It's, it's the affordable housing crisis. It's, it's well documented. Um, average household income for roughly... 22% of all Americans was about twenty-five dollars to $30,000 over the past couple of years, and that accounts for roughly 70 million Americans. And based on the government's suggested ratio of housing cost to income, how much money they should actually be spending on their housing costs, which is 30%, these families can only afford somewhere in the realm of maybe five, dollars $600 per month, and the average apartment rent is hovering in the $1,200 range today. So... They need somewhere else to live, and that's why mobile home parks, and that's where mobile home parks enter. The average lot rent in a mobile home park throughout this country hovers in the $350 range. Um, we have numerous um, communities that are significantly beneath that. Uh, the, the, the lowest lot rent at acquisition of one of our communities was $180 per month. Where in a civilized first world society uh, can you have a housing cost of $180 Per month, this was down in Mississippi when we acquired that respective asset. And in any event, uh, the demand for the product is is massive and is continuing to increase as uh, the population just continues to grow over time. Um, uh, I hope that that's uh, conveyed. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the impression the one would have for affordable housing here. Mm -hmm. the, the impression one would have, maybe it's wrong, is that during the pandemic. Uh, Lower-income people, mm -hmm. service jobs, other ones that got hurt the most. We've got 12 million unemployed, 
And you'd think tons of people in mobile home parks would be those kind of people who would therefore be hurt and not have the income to pay, and therefore you'd probably have a huge amount of defaults. Is that correct? A very, very interesting point. And while I understand the sentiment, we've been very fortunate thus far. Uh, we follow a lot of different commercial real estate periodicals to try to keep our finger on the pulse of the, of the different various asset classes that are out there. And mobile home parks have performed remarkably well over the past year uh, since the pandemic occurred. They've always done well during recessionary environments, and the reason is that in a recession, um, folks that you know can't afford a Class A luxury apartment, they'll go down to a Class B. If you can't afford a Class B apartment, you go down to a Class C. If you can't afford a Class C, oftentimes you'll go down to um, the, the, the mobile home parks, if you will. That's the last bastion of affordable housing. So oftentimes during recessionary periods, our demand actually increases. And that is the case here today. The demand is still increasing for the product. Um, so it, it, we've been fortunate um, in historical recessions. This one is a bit unique in that, uh, to your point, a lot of white-collar workers have been fortunate to be able to retain their jobs and work from home. A lot of those service workers have not had that same luxury. But fortunately for our, our, uh, for our niche, um, there's been a, a fair amount of um, uh, programs that have really helped uh, to, to offset some of that burden. Um, most assuredly, a good chunk of the residents inside of our communities are in that service industry, uh, but in terms of the order of priority when making payments on any given month, food, water, and shelter, uh, folks would fight tooth and nail to ensure that they are not uh, displaced at this present time. If you can imagine, um, when a lot rent is hovering in the $200 range, um, if, if folks don't have the ability to afford that couple hundred dollars per month, uh, really, that that is the, the last fashion. Uh, if they so, can't so, do that, so has, times, unfortunately, they're they're on the streets. Has the delinquency rate gone up in the last year during the pandemic in the mobile home parks? Great, uh, great question. And I would say, in the same manner that multifamily is down just a couple of basis points in terms of the um, occupancy, uh, mobile home parks are in the same vein, down just a couple of points compared to what they were last year. Uh, but, again, this compares extremely favorably to nearly every other asset class. I was beginning to reference Green Street there. Over the past year, mobile home parks uh, in value have actually increased 7% year over year. That is the, um, uh, that performs better than every other asset class except for industrial. Industrial actually went up 15% year over year. But compared to a lot of the other types of real estate that is available in the marketplace, um, uh, hospitality, i.e. hotels, they're down 20% year over year. Office is down as well. Um, apartments are down year over year. A lot of other asset classes have been hit significantly. Mobile home parks have, have been able to withstand this due to the fact that, again, we're still, um, demand continues to increase even in the midst of the recession. Yeah. So for an investor going into one of your funds, what kind of a current yield can they expect and is it like a long-term hold and they'll eventually sell the mobile home parks and realize a capital gain? What is the investors going to be getting for this? A, a, a great question and, and much appreciated. When we're allocating capital, we do our best to actually invest that capital as opposed to speculate, if you will. Um, we have a very long-term horizon. Um, it is a buy, improve, refinance, and hold offering. In terms of the entirety of the yield generated. Uh, we have an annualized projected 16% uh, 
yield on the offering, taking into account both cash on cash returns as well as equity buildup over the long term. About half of that comes from cash on cash on an annual basis, and about half of it comes from the equity buildup over time. Um, the intent is to go ahead and implement that buy, improve, refinance, and hold strategy whereby uh, we have an, an annual yield from the net operating, the cash flow that these assets throw off on an annual basis, and we'll seek to refinance these assets in, in the five- to seven-year horizon, return that original capital back to investors, and they retain their equity ownership in the fund from that point moving forward. So uh, we do our best to, to under-promise and over-deliver. We've been fortunate to be able to meet and exceed those metrics for our partners in historical funds. But, of course, uh, past performance is, is no guarantee of future success, as it were. You've had two funds so far. You're offering your third fund. Mm-hmm. What is the actual name of the fund? Is it the Sunrise Capital Investors Fund? What is the actual name of the fund? Uh, the fund's name is SCI Growth and Income Fund 3. And so uh, what you just talked about, the 15% total return, is that what you actually have achieved in funds one and two? Uh We've been very fortunate. Um, I'll walk you through our past performance here. In Fund 1, um, uh, prior to rolling out uh, fund structures, we were buying deals individually, friends and family, some joint venture deals, etc. Our first fund started in the third quarter of 2017. And uh, we continued to buy assets inside of Fund 1 all through the second quarter of 2018. So, in short, it's been around for roughly three years. We've been fortunate every year we've paid out roughly eight a little bit more than 8% on an annual basis from the cash flow that these assets throw off. In addition to that, we've been able to pay back the entire return of capital to investors via refinances and also a couple of dispositions from assets that we'd owned in New York. Um, we did not see rent control being enacted in 2019, so we ended up selling that New York portfolio, returning capital back to investors. So an investor that had moved forward with a 100K investment in 2017, if you will, has received annual payments of roughly $8,000 per year and then an entire return of capital of their 100 k um, and now they retain their equity in the respective investment. This fund is a 60-40 fund. Fund 3 is a 70-30 fund, but um, that's that's how Fund 1 is shaken out thus far. Very good. Okay, let's. we have to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brian Spear. He is the founder of Sunrise Capital Investors which specializes in investing in mobile home parks and parking lots. You can find out more at his website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. We'll be back after this. There have been so many people dying this year of COVID, now well over 500,000, that it's causing enormous financial distress for survivors who are left behind. Many people do not have close to enough saved up to be able to maintain their lifestyles when the breadwinner of the household dies of COVID or any other cause. You really don't want to leave your spouse and kids with a huge financial burden that they can't handle. The simple solution is to get a life insurance policy, which will pay those who depend on you a death benefit if you die. It makes sense why people get life insurance, especially term coverage, which is surprisingly affordable. Why not pay a bit each month to protect the ones you love? If you're asking yourself this question, choose Ladder. Ladder makes it impressively fast and easy to get covered. You only need a few minutes, and a phone call or laptop is all you need to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you find out instantly if you're approved. There are no hidden fees, and you can cancel at any time. 
Since life insurance costs more as you age, now is the time to cross it off your list. So lock in your best rate today and get your family covered with Ladder. Go to ladderlife.com slash moneyanswers. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash moneyanswers. Ladderlife.com slash moneyanswers and make sure you have enough life insurance. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brian Spear, the founder of Sunrise Capital Investors, which helps people invest in parking lots and mobile homes. Uh, as a way to produce, produce income and long-term capital gains. Their website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Pleasure to be here. So let's talk about some of the details of the fund. What is the minimum investment? Uh, who can and cannot invest in the fund? And what is the estimated holding time for uh, it being in the fund? Great. Uh, uh, so we'll start with the, the first piece. The minimum investment amount is $100,000. Um, uh, the minimum investment amount is $100,000. That uh, you asked about was the duration of the, the holding period. We are most assuredly long-term investors. Buy, improve, refinance, and hold. In a perfect world, we would hold these assets perpetually. Uh, in perpetuity. Um, the goal for us is to go ahead and return the original capital back to investors within a five to seven year horizon. That's what we projected out to partners. Uh, we always do our best to underpromise and overdeliver. From that point, folks will retain their equity in the offering. It's a 70-30 split. They'll retain a 70% equity split, and we'll just continue to uh, enjoy the cash flow of these assets throw off 
over the long term. Um, I can't recall the second portion that you've asked, but Jordan, my apologies. Uh, who, who can invest? Is it a credit investors? Anybody can invest? Ah. Yes, my apologies. Again, it's a, it's a Reg D 506C offering available exclusively for accredited investors. We've got a couple of uh, podcasts, and we, when we mention this, or if and when we ever mention this online, it just uh, bodes well that we go ahead and use that Reg D 506C for accredited investors only. And so what is the definition of accredited investors? Who can do it and who cannot do it? An accredited investor is a specific definition by the Securities and Exchange Commission. And you can be considered an accredited investor by meeting one of two uh, characteristics, and just broadly speaking. The first of which is the income metric, meaning if you're filing taxes individually and you make over $200,000 per year with the intent to have that continue for the foreseeable future, you will have met that definition. Or if you're married filing jointly over the past couple of years, you will have had to make $300,000 per year with that expectation to, to continue. Um, if you do not meet the income threshold, you have the option to potentially meet the net worth threshold. Um, an investor is considered an accredited investor if they have a net worth of $1 million or greater, excluding their primary residence. And if you meet either of those, you're considered an accredited investor with an opportunity to invest in um, offerings such as ours. And why is it that you can't offer this to all investors, not just accredited only? That is a great question. And the, the reason is because the government uh, tries to do their best uh, to... Um, the government feels that they know best, if you will. Um, these rules were instituted in the late 1920s or early 1930s to try to protect those individuals that um, did not have a boatload of discretionary income. The idea was that the folks that are considered accredited, that have a little bit of extra capital on the sidelines, they have some additional security and are intelligent enough to allocate that capital prudently and are sophisticated investors uh, such that uh, they can take on that, that risk associated with allocating their own, their own money. Um, the government uh, precludes folks that don't meet those criteria from doing so um, because they don't feel as if they're sophisticated enough to make those decisions themselves and or unable to really um, weather the the adverse effects of potentially losing that capital in, in a speculative investment. Yeah. Um, and do you get distributions quarterly or monthly? How often do you get the distributions? Well, a quarterly cycle. So we make distributions on the 10th of the month following the end of every given quarter. When we're first going out and rolling out a fund, when we're raising capital, buying assets, when we're in that acquisition phase of building the portfolio, um, we feel that the best, the highest and best use of capital during that time is to go out and do just that. Build the portfolio, turn the assets around, get them operating at peak efficiency. And once we've been able to put a solid foundation in place, then we begin making those outbound quarterly distributions to our partners. Typically, that means in the first couple few quarters of any fund, um, we're, we're, uh, the investment return from the investor's perspective is accruing. And then once we begin making outbound distributions, um, we'll begin chipping away at that, that, uh, that preferred return that has accrued over time for them. Um, in any event, here in uh, Growth and Income Fund 3, we'll make our first outbound distributions to partners at the culmination of the fourth quarter, 2021. So we've got a couple quarters before we actually begin making distributions, but not too far away. 
And is there any kind of a secondary market in the shares if you needed to sell for any reason? Uh, we don't have a formal secondary market, but our securities attorney is quite adept at providing us with some flexibility in the language. So our operating agreement does afford us the opportunity to allow partners to sell their shares on an ad hoc basis. I mean, we hope that our investors are around for the entirety of the holding period. We would not want to move forward with any respective partners unless they share our same investment thesis, investment philosophy. We are most assuredly long-term investors. But that said, you know, life happens. Family matters occur. Unfortunately, people get divorced, people pass away, people have to do estate planning. And for that reason, uh, we do have some flexibility to allow folks to sell their shares um, on that on an ad hoc basis. I'm, I'm happy to walk through that process if you like, but uh, I'll, I'll let you yeah. uh, do the and, and What is the taxability? Is all the income regular income, and then when the fund liquidates in the future, it would be capital gains. What are the taxability of the distributions? Um, the I'll, I'll begin by saying this. Real estate in general is a, a fairly tax-advantaged type of investment, and mobile home parks specifically are remarkably tax-efficient. Uh, for example, folks that just moved forward in Fund 3, we rolled this out in the fourth corner last year, uh, I'll use hypothetical, somebody that invested $100,000, they received for their K-1 in 2020, a $100,000 paper loss on their 2020 tax return. Some folks, I'm not going to say invest exclusively for the tax benefits that these, these assets throw off, but it's a, it's, it's a substantive percentage of why some folks choose to move forward with the investment. Um, uh, and that's because of depreciation, I, or where does that $100,000 loss come from? Great. It is, it is due to the fact that... Um, with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act being enacted in 2017, we have the ability to now enact what is known as accelerated bonus depreciation. Um, different types of real estate have different depreciation schedules. For example, commercial real estate, um, office buildings, things of this nature, typically on a 39-year depreciation schedule. Residential real estate, apartment buildings, multifamily, typically 27 and a half years is the schedule. Anything that is considered infrastructure, roads, curbs, gutters, underground utilities, things of this nature, that's on a 15-year horizon. And with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act being enacted in 2017, anything that is on a 15-year tax horizon or lower now has the ability to be accelerated into year one via accelerated bonus depreciation if you utilize a cost segregation study, which, which we do. Um, and because a mobile home park, we prefer to operate a mobile home park like a parking lot where we don't own any of the homes. All we do is own the infrastructure, the curves, the, the sticks and bricks, the underground utilities. All of that's on a 15-year schedule, and all of that can be depreciated in year one, which provides an opportunity, very unique opportunity for folks to own real estate that actually appreciates in value as you increase the net operating income of the asset and the value of the property actually increases in value while you have the ability to report to the IRS that you're actually uh, losing money and that depreciation is um, actually a loss, a paper loss on your K-1. Um, so unique, uh, unique difference there. So that's at the beginning. And then once you start getting the distributions, those are regular income. And in, in the end, in five or seven years when the fund liquidates, that would be a long-term capital gain. Is that right? Correct. Long-term capital gains, uh, 
typically a little bit uh, um, treated a little bit more favorably than than typical earned income. Correct. Are there other tax benefits in addition to that accelerated depreciation for being in a fund like this? Uh, I would say that the uh, accelerated bonus depreciation early on in the investment is the number one, certainly the number one piece. Um, if you're in a very high tax bracket called, you know, 39%, if you will, plus that state taxes, um, if you're able to invest, let's just say $100,000, receive a 100K paper loss, and you're in a 40% tax bracket, that's you can see how using that paper loss to offset other earned income can really create a significant yield in year one, and we haven't even begun to make outbound distributions yet. Um, I should convey that there's one very important piece here that I, that I want to mention while we, while we have your, your, your base. It is that to uh, allow your paper losses from uh, your, your passive paper losses to offset active earned income, you need to be defined as a, quote, real estate professional as per the IRS guidelines. Um, for example, oftentimes we'll have, you know, high, high income earning doctors, dentists, things of this nature that make seven-figure earned income streams, and they'll often have a spouse that is at home that becomes the real estate professional that uh, oversees all the respective investments, if you will, and uh, can benefit from some of those unique um, nuances associated with um, having paper losses um, offset some of that earned income that you may be able to uh, 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 receive uh, just from a typical uh, W-2 position. So please just speak with your, your CPA and tax counsel there, but it is certainly something that can truly, truly uh, benefit folks in the very, very near term. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Brian Spear. He is the founder of Sunrise Capital Investors, which is a fund that allows you to invest in mobile home parks and parking lots as a source of uh, regular income, and then long-term potential capital gains and tax benefits, as we just described. You can find out more at his website, sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth and Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth and Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Brian Spear. He is the founder of Sunrise Capital Investors, which helps people invest in mobile home parks and parking lots. You can find out more about it at 
sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Welcome back to the show, Brian. Yep, happy to be here, Jordan. So we've been talking about mobile home parks, but the other part of your portfolio is parking lots. That's about 30% of the portfolio you're saying and 70% is mobile homes. Is that roughly the, the mix? Uh, thus far, we're at about 80-20 mobile home parks to parking, but time will tell how that shakes out over time. Yeah. So what is the investment appeal of parking lots? You think today, particularly center cities, a lot of people are not commuting in, they're not going in for arts and theater and so on, and the parking lots are pretty much empty. Sounds like the worst possible time to be investing in parking lots. What is the case for parking lots today? Fair. Very fair. Very fair. But from our perspective, that that breeds opportunity. Um, out of we, we, we discussed a handful of different asset classes over the past year and how the pandemic has impacted them. Uh, parking has been impacted in an adverse manner by COVID. But from our perspective, that that breeds opportunity. Um, some sectors are in more secular decline. I would convey that retail, shopping malls, that is in secular decline due to the Amazon effect and people being able to buy products uh, on, online. And with the you know pandemic, that has only accelerated, and more people have that digital adoption now. That is a, a something in secular decline. However, that multifamily is going to be more of a cyclical investment that ebbs and flows based on where the economy is. And parking, this, from my perspective, is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to buy when the demand has dropped off of a trough. In March of 2020, the parking demand truly did fall off of a cliff. And it started in China. It it started in China, literally fell over 90% virtually overnight. That did proliferate throughout the entirety of the country. And throughout the calendar year 2020, parking demand has has come down. Uh, But... When we are talking about a perpetual type of offering here, buy, improve, refinancing, and hold, we like to hold these assets perpetually. I would much prefer to buy when demand has been depressed, and we're buying off of the most recent year-to-date numbers, um, or the T12, if you will. That affords us an opportunity to negotiate and acquire assets based off of current income that is lower than it actually, from our perspective, should have been and will be as we roll forward. I mean, the argument would be that this is a long-term, people are moving out of center cities where most of the parking lots are, into the suburbs and exurbs, uh, particularly major cities like New York and Chicago and San Francisco. This is a long-term demographic trend. There's just never going to be the demand for parking and driving that there ever was before. So why do you think this is going to come back to the way it was? Uh, Real estate is all about location, location, location. And... When somebody is willing to pay to park their vehicle on a parcel of land, they're willing to pay money just for the right to stand on that parcel of land. It tells you that it is in a very high-demand urban environment or a very high-tourist um, uh, tourist scenario where it's a, a kind of a beach town, if you will, things of that nature. But that location, location, location is very, very valuable. And... The reason that we like both mobile home parks and parking lots is that we view them as cash-flowing covered land plays. And a covered land play is basically conveying that in the very near term here, the first handful of years, five years, if you will, 
there's a yield that is generated from the cash flow of the property that is sufficient and decent and also covers all of the clearing costs associated with holding that parcel of land, holding that property over the long term. And the land play in a covered land play suggests that you're buying in really high-quality location, location, locations, where when you look up 10 years, 20 years, 30 years down the road, the value of that underlying real estate is going to be worth significantly more than it is today. For example, we had a meeting with the mayor of Clearwater this past week where we're looking to acquire a parcel of land on Clearwater Beach as a parking asset, and it will generate a reasonable yield in the very near to medium term here. But when you look back 10, 20, 30 years into the future, uh, chances are very likely that what was considered the best beach in the United States in 2018 will be worth more 20, 30, 40 years into the future. So again, real estate's all about location, location, location. If we can buy assets today that have reasonable yields, and we know that we're in a very high quality uh, environment, both from a macroeconomic and microeconomic perspective, I'd like to hold that asset over the long term. What kind of yields do you get from parking lots? I mean, you were saying roughly 8% cash on cash for mobile homes. What, what is it for parking lots? Yields at the outset for parking assets are a little bit lower than that of mobile home parks. They hover in the 55 to 6.5 range, something like that um, at the outset. Um, when you acquire these assets, you're often able to implement a little bit more professional property management than that which was uh, in place prior to acquisition. Um, there is a fairly large amount of what we would consider to be mom-and-pop owners in the space, mom-and-pop operators. We like to target fragmented niches where institutional capital really hasn't consolidated the entirety of the asset class. And for that reason, the assets that we buy usually have a few different levers that we can pull to increase the NOI, either by increasing the revenue or decreasing the expenses on that parcel, thus increasing the NOI, driving future value, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, parking assets typically trade somewhere between 55 and 6.5 cap rates at acquisition. Again, that's an unlevered 55 or 6.5 yield if you don't put any debt on that respective asset. So you think in the long run that even though they're really depressed now, and they're still depressed, I mean, a lot of people are not driving into center cities either for work or a play or entertainment that they had in the past, that it's going to come back and, and you'll be able to buy the cheap the assets cheaper and in the long run it's going to work out. Is that your strategy? It is. A couple things. Just generally speaking, the answer is yes. Um, we do feel that demand will come back. Over 100 million beings have already been vaccinated here in the United States. Over 3 million be human beings are being vaccinated daily thus far. It is very likely that by the end of the this year, everyone who will have wanted to receive a vaccine will have been able to receive a vaccine here in the United States. And to that end, we feel like the economic vibrancy of the country will come back to some semblance of normal. It may not be back to its entirety, but it will come back to some semblance of normal and as opposed to having the parking demand drop off a cliff like it did in March and thus April of, of last year, it'll be back to um, a more a more healthy uh, a more healthy uh, occupancy percentage. And if we're able to negotiate the acquisitions based on the T12, then we'll be in a, a pretty pretty good position rolling forward. Furthermore, the, the pricing of these assets it's a it's a it's a very inelastic demand. It's an asset class that has very inelastic 
demand. It's not perfectly inelastic, meaning we can't just charge whatever we would like, but it is very inelastic demand. For example, when you go and you need to fill up your, your tank of gas when you're driving around, do you change, uh, do you stop driving because the, the price of gas went from 250 to $3? No, you probably just fill up the tank at 3 bucks and keep it moving. Um, in the same vein, when we're going to um, increase the, the rate of parking from $2 an hour to $3 an hour, um, are people going to just turn away in their entirety because we've increased uh, the, the, the rate? Um, granted, it's, it's just $1. Nominally, that's not a lot of an increase. But proportionally, it is a 100% increase when you move a, lot, when you move a, a, a rate from $2 to $3 per hour. Yeah. And in that manner, we're able to create pretty decent um, increases in the revenue whenever you have the, the very inelastic demand like that. In the roughly two minutes we have left, why is this an asset class, parking lots and mobile home parks, that people should consider compared to other real estate assets? I would say uh, Blue Ocean Strategy. There's a business book written 15 years ago, roughly 15 years ago, that talks about a blue ocean strategy. Um, when you're going into business, you have an opportunity to either choose a red ocean strategy or a blue ocean strategy. In a red ocean, you can envision a lot of sharks swimming around. There is some opportunity in the water, but ultimately somebody's going to win, and when they do, there's going to be a lot of blood in the immediate vicinity. That's why they call it a red ocean strategy. In that manner, you know, yields continue to get compressed, and it's a very difficult environment. There's a ton of competitors. We prefer to operate in a blue ocean strategy where there are no competitors or very few competitors. There is a lack of institutional capital that's consolidating this asset class. We view ourselves as portfolio aggregators that are looking to, to do just that, to help very consolidate good. Very industries good. that have not yet seen that institutional capital. Very good. Well, thanks so much. Uh, my guest this hour has been Brian Spear. He's the founder of Sunrise Capital Investors. You can find out more about mobile home parks and parking lots in his fund at his website, which is sunrisecapitalinvestors.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money as the Show, Brian. My pleasure, Jordan. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.